Welcome to the podcast. You're on the HR Cartel podcast. I'm your host, Tim Dive. Thank you for joining me once more. A few things to talk about today, which are quite interesting, and I think I'm going to touch on, uh, let's say, three points. Another law update, another Fair Work Commission um, or Fair Work Act amendment has just rolled out this week. Um, and then it's, there's also an interesting appeal case. You might remember very recently the the law, um, well, the, the, the case law that occurred where um, it's somewhat changed how we manage public holidays and um, the expectation of employees to work public holidays. Well, that's being appealed now, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and also just some dodgy stuff, the ETU, the good old ETU, they're up to something. Um, at the moment, a couple of, couple of headlines in uh, recent weeks about what they're getting up to. So we'll talk about that as well, a uh, bit of an IR update for you. Before that, as always, go over to www.workplaceas.com, check out other episodes of this podcast, get some, some, uh, some good, healthy info and advice from those. And also you can download some employee performance management tools. We've been t- speaking about employee performance management a, a lot uh, lately. Um, and, and you know, that, that's a pretty important thing when we're going into periods of time where there's uncertainty in, in the business world and talks of downturns and recessions and that sort of stuff. You've got to get more out of your people, right? You've got to, you've got to do better with what you already have in those situations and you need good leadership to be able to get through that. So that website has some free tools you can download. There's three documents or three um, templates and tools there for employee performance management um, and they're um, right there. They're uh, right now available for you. So go and download those. While we're on that, um, you know, there's been uh, a few of my clients recently talking to me about, well, some clients of mine are always having the conversation of pay increases and wages and that sort of stuff. Um, Others have come to the table to talk about this sort of stuff now because it's it's the middle of the year and the Fair Work Commission raised their their minimum wages and and, – minimum award wages as well by a significant amount. So wage increases and pay rises across the board are being spoken about. One thing that I want to make sure that all leaders know, and business owners know this, right, that they, they just innately know this, but the leaders that you promote into these leadership positions that make recommendations on wage increases and that sort of thing, maybe they don't. Maybe they're not consciously aware of this. And this is where the commercial mindset comes into play. Um, speaking to all you leaders out there who are rallying for pay increases across the board and that sort of thing, I know it's easy to do, right? It's the nice thing to do. It's the feel-good thing to do. Make recommendations that all your people get pay increases. Cost of living's going up. Inflation's going up. The Fair Work Commission raises wages with record by record amounts. It doesn't make it easy for you to talk to face your people and say, Look, we're not in a position to give you raises just yet. The fact is, though, the majority, and it's at least the majority of people I work with, client-wise, but the majority of businesses out there aren't paying award wages. 
right? They're not paying minimum wage. Majority aren't. Um, majority wages being paid will absorb this increase easily and still be compliant and have no, no problems with that, right? So then what are you doing? What, what you're doing as a leader and in handing out, you know, enterprise-wide pay increases and recommending pay increases, bear in mind that what that does, increasing your wage overhead instantly decreases your productivity. Now, that means you as a leader are now producing far less and costing the company more for producing the same output. So what are you now going to do? What's your next step? You, you can't just go to a business owner and say, well, I recommend we increase everybody's wage. That, that, that's, a fixed, that's a fixed cost bill. That doesn't come back down, right? Um, so my question to you is what, what are you going to do to counter the, uh, the knock-on effect of that? That instantly makes you a, 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 a leader who now costs the company more money to produce the same level of productivity or output, right? That's not smart business. In fact, it makes businesses look like shit a lot of the time. And who knows what your what your owners' goals are? Maybe they want to sell the business. Maybe they want to step out. Maybe they want to attract investors. Maybe you know, there's a whole range of maybes for every business out there. Um, so be mindful, leaders who don't have the vision of the bank accounts, who don't have um, you know the, the strategic connection to the future of the business and decision making and that sort of stuff. Be mindful of what you, what it is that you're recommending. Um, and remember, if you're going to drive up the cost of producing what you produce right now, what else are you going to do to, to, to counter that? Are you going to be a better leader? Are you going to be more focused and more strategic? Are you going to be more collaborative? Are you going to drive performance more? Are you going to change KPIs? Um, are you going to increase the frequency of conversations you have about performance? What are you going to do? Okay, they're the, questions I'll be asking you if you are my employee as a leader and come in and tell me that you're going to increase my overheads by 10%. So anyway, that's, 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 it's a very important fact about leadership to raise. You know, there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about leadership and I don't really talk about it a lot. I talk about it a little bit I and mean, I, I talk about it in the sense of um, the tools that leaders should be using and, and having and, and the sort of knowledge and understanding that they should have because the reason why I talk about those things is most businesses that, that I go into, smaller businesses, don't have sophisticated leaders. And by sophisticated, I don't mean they're dumb. I don't mean they're bad. I just mean that they're not, they haven't been developed and well-rounded. You go into a big top-tier um, organization, we're going we're to talk about BHP Billiton today a little bit because they're launching that appeal. Let's talk about them. You go into a BHP Billiton, you've got leadership programs, you've got female-only programs, you've got all... You got, Programs under the sun, training and development budgets and all sorts of things, right? They develop leaders and, and they develop leadership capability. You know, the, the other 2 million companies out there in Australia don't have those, those resources. So most businesses don't have well-rounded, sophisticated leaderships or 3D leaders. So, um, you know, that, that little element there um, is, is, is a missed, it's a missed um, problem. For most leaders that you know, they'll recommend time and time again you know for the sake of good culture and good relationships and you know let's do yoga let's do this session let's go and do a gym session let's go trainer into our business let's um let's offer um eaps let's offer counseling let's offer this and that sure good stuff but but what about the other side of that 
you know, what does that result in? Um, that's what you've got to think about um, because you have to produce more. You've got to get more out of your people. If you're going to give and give and give and give to your people, it's got to be a two-way street. You've got to get some back. Otherwise, you make that business unsustainable and unviable and, you know, we, we, we see that. Um, anyway, jumping on, let's move on from that. Um, the, the, the law updates that just happened, so the amendments to the Fair Work Act, um, you know, Later on in the year, Tony Burke is is talking about more changes coming into play, and the, the the it sounds like that's going to be a lot more. Well, the ACTU is certainly pushing for a lot more union delegate power, so the delegates on site giving them more powers, not just the commission, and not just the, the you know, unions in general, but individual delegates on site. And we'll touch on that again a bit more later, um, but that, that's not the updates that have just happened now. The updates that have just happened now. Uh, I might share my screen here because I wrote a little little article for my clients uh, late yesterday and, and shared it. Let's share the screen and, I'll, and we'll, we'll talk through these changes a little bit um, and I'll try and touch on the most relevant things because there's only about six or, or so topics that I, that I really want um, really to talk about. Here we go. So fresh changes to the Fair Work Act, Protecting Worker Entitlements Bill 2023. So this is uh, this is uh, you're, you're seeing the website by the way the famous website www.workplaceas.com. This is where you want to go for that free stuff. Get in there. Anyway, changes changes to unpaid parental leave. This is effective as of July one, in play right now. Essentially, what this means is that employees will have up up to a um, hundred days uh, to take. Um, it, I'll start again. Employees will have options to take up to 100 days of their 12-month leave period flexibly within two years after the birth or the placement of an adoption child or something like that. Okay. Um, so that, that's, that's, that gives a, bit, a lot more time frame, a lot more flexi- flexibility than um, people that accessing parental leave today um, have. So that's, that's, a, that's a change. It's not going to be a big detrimental change to, to employees. I don't think it's much to worry about there, apart from just complying with it and knowing it and understanding it. So be aware of that. Um, yeah, this is an inter- interesting one. The next one, interaction between enterprise agreements and workplace determinations. Essentially, what this means is the Fair Work Commission can now, um, you know, pull up um, an enterprise agreement or workplace, work, you know, workplace terms and conditions and even if there is an enterprise agreement there that's been agreed to, it's passed boot, it's been stamped, it's valid, all that sort of stuff, um, the Fair Work Commission can now change those, those, those terms. They've got the power now to go ahead and make determinations that will um, uh, disrupt the operation of that enterprise agreement, for example. So that's a really, that's a really interesting one. That's something that hasn't been in, in, in play before. Um, anyone with enterprise agreements that have... Um, disputes in workplaces about terms and conditions, be aware of that because you may find yourself in front of a commissioner uh, in a hearing trying to defend why your terms and conditions should remain the same even though everyone voted for it, even though the commission stamped it, um, even though it's been approved and running fine, be aware that 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 can happen. Um, Might be rare. We'll see. This is a really good one too. Number three, authorised employee deductions. Now, why is this good? Um, Right now, so this is as of 30th of December, by the way, this year, so in six months' time. Um, right now, you can't deduct a debt from an, from an employee without having an authorised 
form or an authorization from a written authorization and acceptance by that employee, you can't make a deduction, even if they owe you thousands, right? There has to be a written authorization for every deduction. What this means is that um, you can have one single authorization, and if over time the deduction for that for the for that employee goes up or down, or the, the the amount changes, but it's for the same thing or it's for their benefit, whatever it is, one single authorization that they sign up front is enough. You don't have to go through the the drama every time of of having new agreements drafted and that sort of thing. And this is really good for let's say, for example, um, in the in the, in the labour hire industry, agriculture, it's been in, in the um, in the spotlight, and I've got some contacts within that sector that that I kind of intimately have conversations with. So, for organisations like that, you know, they've got what's called the Palm Scheme, for example, and this Palm Scheme is essentially brings in Pacific Islander labour, and um, they go and work in in agriculture settings and farms and, and you know produce industry and, and stuff like that. Now, what that requires is for them to have accommodation, transport, um, you know, all, all these all these things that need to be provided to those people because they're not locals, right? Um, now, they're responsible for, to pay for those living costs themselves, but they don't have the resources to or, to organise things and, and, and keep on top of things and, and that sort of stuff. So employers will have to make deductions on their behalf, on the employee's behalf, to provide things like vehicles and fuel and um, accommodation and, and all that sort of stuff, right? So if you've got similar situations like that where, you know, you, you're making weekly deductions and, and, you know, employee living costs that you're covering that sort of stuff and you're making deductions on that, this is awesome because you, you don't have to have any more um, attempts to, to continuously make agreement after agreement every time you have to make a single, a single deduction. That's a, good, that's a good one. Protections for migrant workers. This one here is a little bit tricky to me. I think we have to watch this and see. Um, effective from July 1, essentially what this says, and this is the way I read it, and I could be wrong, I'm not a, I'm not a migration expert. Um, I might get one on here to talk about it at some point. Uh, but essentially, migrant migrant workers in Australia are granted the same workplace rights and entitlements as other employees. That's that's the rule, right? Now, um, what it says is that is if they breach that Migration Act, if they breach terms of their visa and that sort of thing, let's say their visa gets cancelled, how I'm reading this says that if that happens, then that visa... Um, the validity doesn't affect the employment relationship or the employment contracts or contracts for services. Now, I've got plenty of clients that rely on that very fact um, in their contracts when they have international uh, people. So, for example, if you've got someone on a on a uh, on a visa that gives them the right to work in Australia, by law, they're required to have a valid right to work in Australia to ha- to hold a job. They have to do that. Now, if we're saying if we're saying now that if that visa is um, those conditions are breached, their visa becomes void and invalid. Um, that those terms in those contracts now can't be uh, applied. I don't know how that's going to work because um, you know, like I said, by law you have to have a right to work in Australia. If your if you, your visa allows you the work the right to work in Australia, then it becomes void and invalid. You don't have that right anymore. And the contract term says if you don't maintain that right, if that if that right to work doesn't remain intact, your employment is terminated. So um, this is a tricky one for me. I don't. I think we we'll have to look in, into this one a little bit more and watch how it might work. But um, imagine if you've got you know someone who's um, 
you know, they, they don't have the right to work in the country, but you don't have an ability to terminate their employment because they've lost that right to work in the, in, in the country. You would have to have them still paid on your payroll while they try and figure things out. Um, and if you don't pay, then you're, you're going to be guilty of wage theft, you know, for example. So I can't quite reconcile this one. But we'll watch and see how it goes and we might, might comment on that further in another episode. Um, last, last one in this update is casual employees in the black in the black coal mining industry. This is to do with long service leave, port, you know, portable long service leave that that industry has. It just means that casual employees aren't, aren't going to be worse off. Um, so... That's a pretty easy one and probably not one that many have to worry about, but it's still good to know. And in this link, I'd encourage you, again, go to www.workplaceas.com, go to the blog section. In this uh, blog, there's a, a link here to get to see the full the full uh, uh, bill and you can read all about it if you want to. Right. So we just finished there talking about changes to the mining sector. Um, their portable long service leave. Let's stay on that industry and talk about BHP because BHP is back in the news now. They've been frequently in the news the last couple of months. It kind of all started back when they had this issue with um, a ruling about how they treated public holidays in their rostering. And that ruling ended up changing everyone's interpretation on how public holidays are managed with your workforce. So that rule, it's, it's, I certainly gave advice to to all my clients because once a rule, once a ruling like that's made, that changes case law and it's relied upon from that point for, uh, moving forward. We all expected BHP would appeal that ruling, and uh, and they are now. So um, it's not not a surprise at all. Um, but they've sought that they've they've been seeking leave um, to uh, to bring an appeal against the decision. Uh, or to, to either overturn um, the the high court decision, which changed all those rules. So um, it's a it's a it's a note to make this one. We've got to keep on um, keep across this one here because it, it essentially what it means is that um, right now uh, with that ruling being made, every time there's a public holiday, you need to tell the employees that they have the right to take the day off and you have to assume that they're not working. And if you want them to work, you have to go to them with evidence uh, proving that you've asked them to work and not expected and forced them to work. Um, and you can't, you know, so, so essentially that means you can't forecast um, rosters where public holidays are involved. You can't rely on, um, you know, different practices that, that are just standard in, in your industry to, to assume people will work public holidays. Um, you've got to assume that people are not working and then ask them to work and have it all documented in evidence. Uh, so uh, if an appeal is successful, that will change again and we'll, we'll see how we're supposed to manage uh, public holidays then. So keep an eye on that. You know, it, it, it's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it, how much change and variation there is in employment law since the Labor government's come in power, but also just just in um, interactions between the courts, you know, between the, the, something can go to the Fair Work Commission and you get mixed decisions on the same scenario and when it gets pushed up right up to the higher court, when they make a ruling, that's that's kind of the final thing. It changes everything. Um, you know, we saw that with sham contracting, for example, as well recently. Anyway, anyway, um, 
Let's let's talk about um, some. I will give you a bit of an IR update because you got um, the ETU, right? The ETU, the Electrical Trades Union. Um, in terms of their reputation, for those who haven't worked with uh, many unions before or the ETU specifically, in terms of their reputation, they are right up there with that level of militance, that that militant union level with the CFMEU. Um, I would imagine that they they uh, are going to be worse than the CFMEU in future years, um, and we're starting to see them push a lot now. Um, and the reason why I'd say they're probably going to be worse, when I say worse, I mean more disruptive, um, unreasonably. Um, but that remains to be seen. We'll see. Um, but the CFMEU or CFMMEU, so they've had recent um, turmoil in a fighting for the last few years, and the, the the manufacturing side of that of that union wants to split. The construct uh, the the mining side has already voted to split, so you'll see them start to depart. Um, and so, you know that that mining union, for example, um, that's part of the CFMEU right now, but won't be in the future. They're a very wealthy union. They got a lot. They got like a hundred million dollars plus in assets. So, um, you know. That that pulling that out of the CFMEU um, leaves them vulnerable, and then you see the manufacturing union leave as well, even more vulnerable. So I think this, the, the CFMEU has probably got a, a fair bit of uh, challenge and turmoil ahead of them, um, and yet you may see that cause a lot of distractions for that union, and they might just calm down their their uh, their aggression a little bit. Who knows? We'll see. ETU though, let's talk about them. So the ETU are doing some dodgy things. Or so they're accused. Um, the business community is accusing the ETU of ma- of creating a mandatory union membership um, conditions um, under a different name or a different title. Essentially, what they're doing, right, is is this: they've got in their agreements, um, their enterprise agreements, they've got this term. That gives you uh, an extra allowance that pays you more money if you do this course, which is essentially, I don't know, I can't remember what the course is, but it's, like, it's probably like a, you know, how to be a good ETU member 101, I, I guess. Um, and that course, um, uh, doing that course will get you more money in under the enterprise agreement. So you'll be paid more. Now, if you're a non-union member, that course will cost you $1,500, double the price that it costs to join the union. If you are a union member, you do that course for free. Doing that course gets you about $7,000 extra in your pay per year. Um, Now, what does that give you? Seriously, it it gives you a a 100% trade union workforce, right? So um, very sneaky. Very very sneaky, and and it's a it's a way around the um the, the the right to choose, the protected right to choose, or whether you want to be in a union or you don't want to be in a union, and suffer no detriment because of it. It flies in the face of that. Essentially, what this says is that union members get paid more, and non-union members don't get paid more, um, uh, even under the same enterprise agreement which flies in the face of everything we're talking about. Flies in the face of what the union says they stand for as well, mind you. So we're starting to see the greedy hands come out now, aren't we? The ACTU and the Labor government have been pals 
in, in all this. The Labor government's taken millions and millions of dollars in donations to run their election campaigns and get themselves into power. The unions pushed their members to be Labor voters and all that sort of stuff, and, and now they're getting their payback. Um, so, you know, Tony Burke is just, just you know, expect expect no consideration from Tony Burke on, from the business, for the business community. I really don't think that he's got it in him to, to, to understand what they need, what they want, and, and how to secure that because he's so um, hamstrung by the ACTU and the union movements themselves um, that I, I, don't, I don't see it getting any better. But how dodgy is that, right? Now, you know, the, the um, to, uh, other ETU uh, complaints um, have centred around the same sort of thing, that their delegates will get paid more money. That's in their agreements. Um, and it's essentially that's uh, the, the same thing again where you've got um, union members um, or your union delegates being paid more than non-delegates, even under the same enterprise agreement and even if they're all members. So, um, you know, again, that's creating two classes. The, the, the union is disadvantaging even other union members if they're not a delegate. So, um, you know, the, the, these are not, not favourable conditions um, for enterprise agreements for all employees. I don't know how the hell they're getting these things approved through the through the Fair Work Commission, but um, the, the 13 new commissioners who are union delegates basically probably has something to do with it. But um, apparently there's about 14 or 16 New South Wales electrical businesses signed up to these enterprise agreements with the ETU already. So shame on you guys. Shame on you. That, that, that's that's terrible. You know, the, that, that sort of leg up has the ability to push – Conditions like that nationally, and um, good on you for for you know damaging your industry. Frankly, I don't think you'd find um, any other businesses that would disagree with that. Um, that you're not, not not only are you creating a class with of union members versus non-union members and, and allowing that to happen within the union membership circle, you're also creating an, a, more classes: delegates versus non-delegates. Um, so shame on you for that. Not something you should be participating in or agreeing to. Um, and look, that might be harsh. I don't know. I don't know the situation these fourteen or sixteen businesses are in. Who knows? You know. But I know unions make an awful lot of promises that don't often come true. So who knows what they've been told as well? But um, yeah, shameful enterprise agreement terms in my in my view in my book. Here's another uh, IR update for you. I read just today Aldi, the big supermarket chain. They uh, they fought off the retail union's attempts to uh, to obtain the pay and the terms and conditions and contracts and the pay details and private and confidential information of about thirteen thousand employees, many of which weren't uh, aren't union members. They um, they're not their industrial relations interests are not represented by the union, but the union is um, you know trying everything they can and pushing as hard as they can, even though it's not lawful, to get their hands on company data. Um, yeah, good on the uh, Audi for sticking up to it. And the commission has um, sided with Audi. What a surprise. I, I wouldn't have expected that. But essentially that, that's good news because that means that um, you know, a, a union can't just walk into your business and make demands and you have to hand things over. Now, I know a lot of businesses that just do. They just do hand everything over just for the sake of peace. But that doesn't bring you peace. It doesn't bring it. So stand up against that stuff. It's good to see the commission's backed an employer in, in this situation. 
the union has no right to access that information, no right whatsoever. Um, and all this extra courage they're, they're, they're getting from Labor's um, uh, amendments and changes, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's got to be addressed at some point. Um, so stand firm in, the, in that sort of scenario that happens to you. So, look, I think, um, you know, we might, I might just wrap it up there today. There's some interesting things that they're going on and, and, um, and that we can continue to talk about. I'm really keen to see how this public holiday appeal runs for BHP. Um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's hard for many, many businesses to, to run their businesses with those sort of restraints on public holidays. You know, the hospitality sector, cafes, restaurants, bars, the retail sector, um, you know, service-based businesses, um, all kinds of all kinds of businesses have a really hard time with the administrative burden that it takes to handle those sort of rules. So, um, hopefully, we see some sense there. Well, until next time, as always, keep a very tight workplace, and we'll talk again soon. joining us. See you later.